You are listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we continue our study by examining how we are intended to love, live, and learn from others in our church family with a series we are calling Life in the Family. With this week's message, here's Shepherding Pastor Joe Cook. Well, have you ever taken a chance on being rejected? You know, you kind of put yourself out there. Maybe you ask someone out on a date, what if they say no? Maybe you raised your hand in class, and as you've got your hand there and the teacher calls on you, like, oh, I think I know the answer. <laughs> Is everybody going to laugh at me? Maybe you try out for something, you don't know if you'll be selected. I'm going to share a story with you from my life, a very important story in my life. When, ever since I was really small, I've loved to draw. As soon as I could hold a crayon or a pencil, that's been part of my life. And love drawing people, love drawing anything, but especially people. Well, that continued on up into my high school years, but my identity in high school really was football. Okay? That, that's, where I, that's where I was finding my, my strokes, and that's where I was finding a connection with other people. And I didn't really want to be known as the artsy guy, okay? So I hid my drawings. I hid my artwork. And the greatest hiding place in the world, of course, is you know, under your bed. <laughs> One day my mother found my drawings. And she pulled them out. She looked at them. And she approached me. And she said, have you been doing this all along? I, yeah. It's what I do. I enjoy it. She said, would you like to have art lessons? At her job, she worked here in Wichita Falls. She had met an art teacher. If you've been in Wichita Falls for a long time, you may remember the name Steve Gray. He was a popular artist in this area for a long time. And my mom had met him, and she said, if you'd like to have art lessons, we'll, we'll pay for them. And I was like, okay, it's in Wichita Falls, so none of my buddies will know. <laughs> so I can go do that. So I went, and what he told my mom, he said, have him bring some of his work. Ooh, okay, work? Yeah, you know, drawings and stuff like that. Well, at this point, most of my drawings were on notebook paper. And I don't, they may have been in a trapper keeper. It was the 80s, okay? So I'm like, okay. So I can never, I'll never forget going to that first time I was going to meet Steve Gray, the art teacher. I came into the studio and there was lights in the studio and there was all this beautiful artwork. And I'm holding these, these drawings that suddenly I know they're the best I can do, but what's, what's he going to say? Is he going to laugh? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to say, you might want to stick with football? Maybe you want to take up chewing gum. I don't know. I don't, what is he going to say? I'm going to show you a couple of drawings that I took on that time. If you snicker, it's okay. I can handle it now, okay? But I'm going to show you what I started off with. Okay. On the left, that's Merle Haggard. I know you probably recognized him immediately. I don't know what happened to his nose. On the right, that's my father. And he looks a little bit like the wolf man. <laughs> These are some of the drawings that I took. And I honestly, I looked at them suddenly in a different light when I'm pulling them out and I'm setting them before this artist. What's he going to say? It was kind of scary. Do you know what? He didn't reject me. He didn't laugh. He found some things on those drawings and things like it to encourage me. And then he very gently, he said, you know what? I can show you some things that will make them better. I was accepted. I was received. I came into the light, and I was not cast out because it was very flawed work. But he accepted me. That relationship, a teacher-student, developed into a fellowship, a friendship with that man, Steve Gray. And it became a pivotal 
relationship in my life. A 20-year career of teaching art in the public school came out from, from that meeting. I spent 20 years in the public school teaching art and a lifelong pursuit. I still love to draw and paint. It's therapeutic, it's my passion, and I do it almost every weekend. All because I risk going into the light. Here's the phrase I want you to remember. Fellowship is transformational. Fellowship is transformational. And fellowship is our topic this morning. So I'm going to invite you to turn to an epistle in the Bible, to 1 John. This whole epistle, one of its primary focuses, I would say its primary focus, is it's about fellowship. This story, this story, this letter is not about um, how to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Derek walked us through that about how to be born again. That relationship is secure. But you know, maybe if you've been in a, a strong friendship, fellowship kind of ebbs and flows at times. So when we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about something different. And John gives us some great explanations, and I would call it an invitation into fellowship. You know, this whole epistle flows out of that upper room discourse, chapters 14 through 17, where that great section where Jesus talks about abiding in him. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But right now, what I want us to do is define this term fellowship, because I want you to understand we're not just talking about buddies and pals. No, when we say fellowship, we're talking about something different. This is from a lexicon. The Greek word is koinonia, close association involving mutual interest. And sharing, sharing, that's an important word. Communion, fellowship, close relationship. And then they give a description. They describe it this way. Hence, a favorite expression for the marital relationship is the most intimate relationship between human beings. See, when we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about a big deal. We're talking about a really, really close relationship. And remember, fellowship is transformational. That's an important thing for us to, to catch on. Read the first few verses with me. 1 John 1, we read this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. It's talking about Jesus. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. And then we get to verse 3, and here comes the invitation. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And two very important words, so that. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's so that, that's a marker of purpose. It's saying, that's why I'm writing to you. I want you to have fellowship. And here's why he wants you to have fellowship. This powerful, transformational thing called fellowship. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That word complete means full. You take a bucket, you can't put, put any more in it. It's full up. It's, it's complete. He wants your joy to be that way. When we read through this, we understand it's about a growing relationship. Charlie Bing is helpful. He says this, fellowship, literally sharing, refers not to the establishment of a relationship, but to growing more intimate in that relationship. In other words, John's purpose is not to establish a new relationship, but to enhance an existing one. He wants your relationship with God 
as secure as it is, it's unchanging, never-ending, but he wants it to be filled with joy. That's the invitation. Well, that's what fellowship is. Well, how do we have that? Because I would like to have that, wouldn't you? Jesus wants you to have that. In that upper room discourse in chapter 15, we read this. He's been talking to them about abiding in his love, and then he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That word full is the same word as the word complete. Jesus wants you to be joyful, and joy flows from fellowship. And remember, fellowship is transformational. Well, John, you've got me. I'm hooked. I want thin on this fellowship. How do we do this? How do we start? He's going to tell us in verse 5. Or he's going to start telling us in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's a strange way to start, but it's very important. He's wanting to remind us about something about God. God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus also explained what the light does. Look at what the light does. And this is the judgment, the light. He's talking about himself because he is the light. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be, and there's an important word, exposed. We could use the word illuminated. You see, that's what happens when you come in the light. When I brought those drawings in, suddenly those bright lights, I could start seeing all the mistakes, and I knew this master teacher could see them. And John's telling us fellowship, to start, to step into fellowship, it's going to mean coming into the light. Ooh, that's risky, remember? We're taking a chance here. And then verse 6, let's read through 8 and see what John says. If we say... We have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now this can get a little confusing. Sometimes John's wording is a little hard to work with. And as you look at that, you're like, okay, I'm... I know the light's important. I don't want to walk in darkness. So in darkness is evil and light is good. So is John saying I, to be in the light, I have, to be, I have to be perfect? I have to be righteous? But then he just says, if you say you don't have any sin, I, I'm confused, John. Can you help me out? Well, I want you to notice a couple of things. One, notice how often he says, said, verse 6 and verse 8, if we say that. If we say that. There's something about what we're saying. Here is Zane Hodges. It's very helpful. It's significant that John talked of walking in the light rather than according to the light. To walk according to the light would require sinless perfection and would make fellowship with God impossible for sinful humans. To walk in it, however, notice, suggests instead openness and responsiveness to the light. It has to do with what we say. That's how you walk into the light. You step into that light and you're honest. Look at verse 9, probably the most well-known verse in 1 John. If we confess our sins, confess means to say the same thing. The Greek word is homologeo, to speak the same. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Walking in the light isn't about being perfect. perfect. It's about being honest. It's about being truthful. It's about allowing that exposure to take place, to allow mistakes, warts, everything to be illuminated. When I took that artwork in there, if Steve Gray had looked at my artwork and began doing what he did, if I grabbed my papers and I said, who are you to tell me my artwork's not any good? I don't need your opinion. And I left. Well, I wouldn't be in fellowship with him. And what if I got in the car and my mom said, what do you say? I said, oh, he said, I don't need any, I can't learn anything from him. I'm already good. I'd be out of fellowship if I said that. Notice John, if we say that. It's about being honest. So fellowship's how we get joy. Joy's what God wants us to have. John's inviting us into the light. Well, that's scary, John. And John's saying, just be honest. Walk into the light and speak the truth. It's very powerful. Fellowship is transformative. And it's going to require humility. You know, we all want to hide. All of you, every person, every chair that's filled... You've got some things that you don't want people to know about. You've got sin in your life because none of us are perfect. And it's a scary thing to bring that out and to have it, to have it seen. But the scripture's telling us <laughs> that's what we're invited to do. And if we want to have joy, that's the place to start. But we want to hide. Remember Adam and Eve? What's the first thing they did when they sinned? They took off. They started hiding, covered themselves with leaves. And God approached them. He knew where they were. He knew what they had done. He said, where are you? You know what he was doing? He was inviting them into the light. So let's review. Fellowship requires walking in the light. Fellowship produces joy. Fellowship is transformative. And it's about abiding. When Jesus talked about abiding and fellowship, I think it's synonymous. So no abiding, no fellowship. We've been talking about abiding as the first step in every step of these one another's. To fellowship with one another begins with this abiding relationship. So at this point, what we're going to do, if you look at your outline on the U version or you look at it on here, we're going to break this down. We're going to first start talking about how to have fellowship with God. We're going to break it down into two components. And then we're going to talk about fellowship with one another. What does it look like? Let's add to this element of walking in the light and see what we can learn. So the first thing that we want to do is talk about fellowship with God. Now, God already knows everything there is to know about us. But fellowship has these two key components, seeing and knowing. Seeing and knowing. What do I mean by seeing? Well, first of all, seeing takes place in the light, doesn't it? I'm going to share two stories with you from the Scripture. I could have shared many, many more. What I want you to see is we're going to see people who were cast into the light, not really of their own choice, and they were received. The first story I want to remind you of is back with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah had been given a promise by God. God said, I'm going to have a, a son come from you, Abraham. But Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children. So they came up with their own idea. We're going to help God out. That's always a bad thing when you try to do God's plan your way. And it got them in trouble. Sarah gave Hagar, her, her handmaid, her slave, to Abraham. She went to, into Abraham and became pregnant. Well, then suddenly Hagar thinks she's a little bit better and Sarah's feeling a little bit worse. And as you can imagine, that was not a pleasant household to be in. And pretty soon Sarah started mistreating Hagar and Hagar ran away. She just took off. 
And you've got this very interesting story in Genesis 16 where the angel of the Lord, the presence of God in a bodily form, comes and he finds Hagar. And he says, Hagar, where, are you, where did you come from and where are you going? And you know what? Hagar was honest. There in the presence of the angel of the Lord, she said, I'm running away. And he told her, he said, don't run away. I've got a plan for you. I've seen you. I've seen what's going on. And it's going to be okay. That, that boy that's growing in your room, he's going to be the father of a multitude of people. You're going to be a great person. There's going to be a big man in this area. I'm going to take care of you. And you know what Hagar did? She gave God a name. And it's an important name for our topic this morning. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God of seeing. She said, Truly, here I have seen him who, notice, looks after me. El Roy is the Hebrew. She named God, you the God who sees. She recognized, you know what, everything I've done, everything, every place I've been, you've seen it. And not only do you see it, but you're looking after me. It's reciprocal in nature. She's in the light, and fellowship starts to grow. He's called her by name, and he's, she's called him by name. I want to share another account from, with you. This one from the New Testament. Again, another woman in some difficult circumstances. There's a, the Pharisees were always trying to trip Jesus up. They're always trying to catch him on something. So they went and they found a woman caught in the act of adultery. I don't know where the guy was because it takes two for that sin to take place. I don't know if he got away, was a quicker runner, or they're just hypocrites and showing their insincerity in this. But they bring this poor woman and they cast her into the light. Everybody knows what she's done. She's, she's guilty of adultery. And they look at Jesus and they say, what say thee, Rabbi? The law says, stoner, what are you going to do? And Jesus, that great scene, he says, well, I'll tell you what, the first one of you that doesn't have any sin in your life, you throw the first stone. And in the moment of self-reflection, each of those Pharisees peeled off. But the woman's still there, still, still caught in the light, in her sin, and she's still surrounded by men. Jesus and the disciples and whoever else may have been looking on. And God looks at her. Jesus looks at her. And he says this. He stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. There she was, cast into the light before this rabbi who held her life in his hands and she found grace. She came into the light. She couldn't hide her sin. She couldn't hide what had gone on. And he said, I don't condemn you. You know, both of these women, and there's countless stories throughout Scripture where people find themselves in this situation. And isn't it interesting how God, in each of these things that I've shared with you and referring to Genesis 3, he asked a question to Adam and Eve, where are you? Hagar, where have you been? Where are you going? Woman, where are they that condemn you? It's as though God, who already knows the answer to all those questions, he's saying, come, come in, come closer. Coming into the light is scary. What I want you to see from Scripture is that God extends grace to these people. But I'm going to tell you that I understand that many of you are afraid to even go to God with what he already knows and to be honest about the sin that's in your heart or in your past, the shame that you carry, the weight of the guilt. 
And you're like, I, I can't talk to God about that. And you know why that's so hard? It's because God has a PR problem, a public relations issue. And that public relations issue is us, the church, Christians. We've, we've not represented him well. And there are people that are scared to go into God's presence. Like, oh, no, I can't go in there. If I had been hearing horror stories about Steve Gray and what a horrible, hard teacher he was and how he made fun of people's bad drawings, do you think I would have gone in there? No. I want you to know that God loves you. And there is account after account where people come into his presence and they have grace extended to them. We, had, we started this series. We talked about this passage. By this, all people will know that you're mine, my disciples. And that's if you have love for one another. That's what he wants us to be known for. He wants us to know that he longs to see us. And he wants us to know that we're seen. And he wants you to know that he sees value in you, not because of your performance, not because of your perfect record, not because of your great works. He loves you and receives you because of his character. It's based on his character, not your performance. Well, that's seeing, and it's an important one. If you can't do seeing, you're not going to get to the next one. The next one is knowing. And when I talk about knowing, I'm not talking about just head knowledge. This is experiential knowing. This is spending some time together. It takes time to build up this kind of knowing. David understood this. Look at David, Psalm 139. I would encourage you to read through the whole thing. But these are the first few verses. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. And notice my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. God was with you when you woke up this morning. He'll be with you when you go to sleep at night. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on. He already knows everything, which is kind of terrifying, right? Chuck Swindoll said this about this passage. The songwriter says that God searches him. That Hebrew term led to this, that led to this, this translation originally meant to explore and sometimes conveyed the idea of digging into or digging through something. The thought is that God explores, digs into, examines me through and through. God knows everything that's on your phone, everything that's on your search history. And he sees you, and he sees you not based on your performance or your perfection, but because of who he is. And he says, I want to know you better. Like my art teacher that brought me in, he saw the mistakes and he understood them. David saw the Lord and knew that the Lord understood everything about him, and it didn't terrify him. Instead, he said this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. David didn't feel violated by the fact that God knew everything about him. He rested in it. He found great peace in that reality. David said, Your thoughts are precious to me. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. All through this Bible, God's inviting people into his presence, into his light, and he's saying, I want to join, I'll come in and I'll go alongside with you. When I took that artwork into the, the studio and I showed it to him, I was so nervous. But you know what? After a while, after I got to know Steve better and he got to know me, I started looking forward to going into that studio and going, Man, this is a mess. I don't know what to do about this. And sometimes he would take the pencil or the paintbrush, and he would work on the painting itself. In fact, I have a painting hanging in my house that's probably 50% from his hand. He made it better. He helped, and I learned 
by being side by side with him, watching him work. I learned to see and to think like him. Fellowship is transformative. It changes things. To know that God sees you speaks to your significance. The cross that's behind me speaks to your significance. Not based on what you do, it's just based on how much God loves you. And the knowledge that he has of you, this experiential knowledge, that should give us security. I hope you have somebody in your life who knows how badly you've messed up, and yet they still love you. One of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is sometimes people will come and they'll share things, and I get to extend grace to them. And I can do that because I've had grace extended to me. So that's where we move from, I've received this from the Lord, and now because I've received it, I can give it to others. So we move now to talking about what is it like to have fellowship with others, other human beings? You mean other people that are going to hear what's going on in my world? Well, yes. I want to share Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. One of the things Steve taught me was, you're going to have to learn to see like an artist. You've got to learn to see the world differently. And here's the thing. If we're going to move into fellowship with other people, we've got to learn to see other people differently. We've got to learn to be able to see past the sins and the failures and the, and the filth and the shame and the guilt that sometimes makes a person angry, we've got to learn to see past that. And we, should, we, we can do that because we've received that. Paul doesn't say that other people are more significant than you. He says count them that way. Learn to see people and see the value of them. So how do we do this? Well, you're not going to like this statement. To have fellowship... I have to say the words, it begins with me. It begins with me. I've got to start seeing people differently. I've got to stop judging people based on just what I can see. I've got to stop judging people just based on the fact that they've messed up. I've got to start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. And the only way I can do that is remember that he's seen me that way. I also have to take a risk. If I'm going to be in fellowship with other people, I've got to be vulnerable. I've got to really be able to move into a situation and be as honest about my stuff as I'm expecting others to be honest with me. James put it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Notice that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Uh, one, of the, one of the staff this week when we were going through the message said there's a catchphrase going around that says, Reveal to heal. That's kind of, it's catchy. It helps you. Look, that's what James just said. Confess your sins. Reveal what's going on in your life. And notice that he says, that you may be healed. Bad things grow in the dark. Last week, Lance talked about boards laying in the ground and out in the backyard. I can remember one time as a kid lifting up a piece of plywood that had been laying there a long time. And it was black and moldy, and it smelled bad, and there were bugs and worms, and it was disgusting. But you know what? If you flip that board over and you leave it gone and let the sun shine, the light come down on it, you know what's going to happen in a few days, in a few weeks? Little sprigs of green grass are going to start coming up. The bugs are going to crawl away, and that which was ugly and dark 
is going to start to be healed. You have to reveal to be healed. That's what James is saying. It starts with me, and it means I'm going to have to take a chance. You're like, Joe, I couldn't tell anybody about what I did. Yes, you can. You really can. There are pastors, there are elders, there's ABF leaders, Bible study groups, there's friends. There's people in your family. You really can look at them and say, look, I did this, and I feel shame and guilt. And the privilege that we get to have, the person that you share that with, is we get to look at you and say, first thing I want you to know (laughs) is I respect you for having the courage to say that. And I want you to know that I love you and respect you as a human being, and your worth and your value is not determined by what you've done. God does not define us by our perfection, our works, or any of those things. And we get to have the opportunity to extend that grace to others. And I hope you've had someone extend that grace to you. Because fellowship is transformative. And that's what we're being invited into. That's seeing others. What about knowing others? A great example of knowing others is Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy knew each other. How did that happen? Well, they spent a lot of time together. This is one of the things that Paul said about Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he's served with me in the gospel. They spent a lot of time together. A great way to build fellowship, deep abiding fellowship, is to roll up your sleeves and serve next to someone. And that's what Paul and Timothy did. They knew each other thoroughly and completely. This very tender part of 1 Timothy in the next section, look at this. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. joy. There's that word joy again. It comes from fellowship. I am reminded of your sincere faith, of a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Paul knew a lot about Timothy, knew who his family was, knew who his people were. And you know what? When you start to enter into fellowship like this, you start to have people you can call my people. My people. You start to be a part of something bigger than yourself. It's a great privilege to have margin in your life. I hope you know someone that knows a lot about you and that they still love you and communicate that to you. Because that's the kind of person that you can sit in the pickup with or sit in the living room with, sit at the coffee shop. And you can, they know me, they see me, and they love me. This fellowship is mutual. We read about this in the very first lesson, Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, there's the word fellowship again, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then we read this, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they weren't worried about somebody taking unfair advantage. They were making deposits, and they were making withdrawals, and there was trust. There was fellowship. There was richness. And the people that were outside looking in, like, I want some of that. I want to be a part of something like that. After this started happening, the church grew like an explosion. Thousands of people saw that. They saw genuine fellowship, and they saw the transformation. They said, I want to be a part of that. Did you notice that in the outline, it's seeing and knowing? 
It's not seen and known. That I and G is a pretty important word, pretty important ending to a word. It speaks of progression. It speaks of something that's ongoing. A number of months ago, Lance rolled out for you what the elders have, have they rephrased our mission statement. Our mission statement originally talked about raising up mature disciples, mature disciples of Jesus. And they got to thinking, that sounds kind of like an end product. And by the way, let's look around and say, who's mature? Kind of depends on the day, right? So our new, our new uh, mission statement says this. Our mission is to develop, and there's our I-N-G word, maturing, maturing followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, fellowship isn't easy. Powerful things that do powerful things and make a difference, they're not always easy to engage. It's a process. It's a process with your relationship with the Lord. Your fellowship with him can grow it can, it can become bigger and more powerful and stronger, and your fellowship with other people can as well. It's about maturing. It's about fellowshipping. It, that ING, that's real important. Fellowship is transformative. So I'm going to show you another picture. Um, I, I've continued to paint and draw my whole life, still fascinated with faces. And uh, I'm going to show you that I've gotten better, Okay. Because those others were horrible. I don't want you walking away going, that was just sad. Okay? But you know what? The picture that I'm going to show you that will be on the right, that's the newer and better and improved version of what I can do, there's problems with it. There's mistakes, and I'm probably going to work on it again before I'm done. So I'm gonna, I chose the Merle Haggard one. He didn't have a nose, so we're going to use that one. There's Merle Haggard, and then on the right, I've been working on a painting of Jesus. If you watch the TV show, The Chosen, it's from that character. And I can look at that and I can tell you that I'm not quite happy with that bottom lip. It's just, there's something about the shape that doesn't look right. There's some color harmonies that, that aren't right. I could pick it apart, but you know what? It's better. It's better. If I could reach into the past and pull out a picture of my spiritual life and hold it up, and reach into my heart now and hold up a picture of my spiritual life, and you could juxtapose those two things. I, I hope I could say it's better. There's a lot of days in between there. You might have said, I think Joe's going backwards. Because that painting that I just showed you, I picked a good one. I got a bunch of bad ones. I got a drawer full of bad ones. I'm like, and nobody's seeing that one. Because I don't paint at the same level every day. And there's the truth. I don't walk with Jesus at the same level every day. I don't have it all figured out. I've got some boards in my backyard that I need to go turn over for the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. And so do you. You all do. We all do. And we need each other. Fellowship is transformative, but it's scary. So my invitation to you today is to look at the steps to fellowship that we've printed in here and just kind of ask yourself some of those reflective questions. The hardest one for you may be the third one in abiding Jesus is, do I believe he, meaning God, will extend grace to me in my failures? I'm sorry for the bad PR that God has. But I want you to know that at the cost of the cross, he purchased an ocean of grace that has no bottom and it has no beaches, and he is eager to extend grace to you. Don't dare not to dare. I invite you 
to come and walk in the light. And I invite you to share your heart with someone else too because fellowship is transformative. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.